Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lord-Danik. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's me, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis. Today's episode is a bit of a special one. It's a year ago today that Australia and New Zealand learned that we would be hosting the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. It was an incredible night for all involved. The four of us were up watching it over Zoom with some friends of the pod and we were all just overjoyed and very, very relieved to say the least. So in honour of this anniversary, we have a very special guest joining us today. She was there when hosting the World Cup was simply an idea back in 2015. She was there when the initial feasibility studies were being done in 2017. She was leading the charge when Australia was submitting a solo bid in 2018 and then when it became this groundbreaking two-country cross-confederation undertaking. She was there in the room, jumping higher than everyone else when Australia and New Zealand were announced as the host and she is now the Chief Operating Officer for Australia for the 2023 Women's World Cup. So Jane Fernandez, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's go back to that day. What was that day like for you? Because I can imagine it must have been very hectic, very stressful. So take us, I suppose, through that day for you. Yeah, for sure. So the, you're right, the day was very stressful. There was this uh, energy around all of us, this anticipation, because, you know, we had a feeling of where we may be uh, be positioned um, amongst all of those that, that got to vote to award us the rights to co-host with New Zealand. Um, but we had no idea, and you never know until the votes are cast. But what we wanted to do is make a real event of the announcement. And so we worked really closely with the New South Wales government, and that's what led to us lighting up the Sydney Opera House with those unbelievable images of grassroots football, young girls from multiple communities right across Australia. Um, we had Sam Kerr backflipping right across the sails, and then, of course, the trailblazer, Julie Dolan, um, she was also featured on the Sydney Opera House. So we turned it into the most amazing event in the lead up to. Um, and actually, the night before that, I was down at the uh, Sydney Foreshore checking all of the lighting for the Sydney Opera House. That was about 11pm at night, I think. So there was almost like this massive run in into the actual decision. Um, so that was a huge event. And then we had Matildas there, as you know. And then at the end of the lighting of the Opera House, we all piled back into the bus and we headed back to the um, to the office here. Not everyone came back with this. Julie Dolan decided not to um, because it was such an early morning announcement. But, um, you know, she did give me a number of wise words as she was driving back over the bridge and she could still see the images there. And I've told this story a few times, but she did say to me, you know, this is unbelievable and she could never have thought in her lifetime that this would be possible and she also told me not to screw it up. So I'm glad that we did it and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad we got the win um, not only for Julie, but for all the trailblazers, for so many people that work so hard to bring uh, women's football to where it is today, um, for everyone who worked on the beard and for all of our supporters. Jane, how, how nervous and down to the wire did it feel for you? Because I remember on the day um, reporting with my colleague Ben Mackay in New Zealand that Jacinda Ardern was hitting the phones, everyone's hitting the phones, everyone's doing the last minute lobbying to yeah, try yeah. and get it across the line because it felt like everyone was very, very confident and then there was this like little dip where people go, oh, my God, are we going to lose it? And then the confidence came back. How was it for you as someone right there? Because I imagine you would have been sort of you, you, riding, I guess, every bump and wave that, that comes and every little surge. Like, how was it that, that last day where you just, you just don't know for sure? Yeah, look, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of nervous energy. As you say, you just don't know, but you're riding this wave of, God, have we got it? Have we don't have it? Do we not? We've got people telling us they're going to support us but you never know until they cast their votes. 
Um, so, yeah, it was a very anxious wait. Um, you could see us all in the room sitting COVID, COVIDly safe, obviously. Um, but we really didn't know until until uh, Johnny Infantino made, made that announcement. And in the lead-up, there was a lot of things that happened once we came back to the office. Um, we had that live Facebook show hosted by Tara Rushton. Um, we had a number of staff activities as well because we'd kept our final bid presentation very confidential and we wanted to make sure that all of the Football Australia staff who had just contributed so much to this bid, while we had a big team, we were only like about seven people. So we couldn't do this all on our own. You know, it was the whole Football Australia team that really supported us along this journey. Um, so we presented to them the final presentation video and another, another bunch of key stakeholders as well. So for us, there was almost like this build, building into the announcement. And while all these other activities were going on, you're right, people were working the phones. Um, because we have to remember this was during a COVID situation. So normally um, we would have been with everyone. It was actually meant to be in Ethiopia because that's where the Congress was meant to be held. So normally you'd be all be in the same room. So it was a very, very different scenario. So we really finished the bid um, under that COVID environment. And what were your feelings, Jane, when you heard those words, Australia, New Zealand? I think I can speak on behalf of, of the gals here when I say that we were overwhelmingly relieved. I burst into tears because that 24 hours was so stressful. How did it feel for you in those moments just after you realised that we'd won? I, I really, I mean, relief is a really good word to use. I, um, it took a while for it to sink in. It was all, sort of like a mixture of joy and, and relief because we just worked so hard and for so long on it. And um, it just sort of felt like, you know, because don't forget, I also worked on the men's bid. So I've lived that experience of, of that. And so it was sort of like, you know, finally, we've worked so hard and we've actually won the gold medal. You know, that's what we were saying. It was like we've won gold. This is just unbelievable. And you train so hard, if you like, and you put so much into it and then you come, come away with gold. It did take a while to sink in. Like we were sort of all walking around here afterwards. And don't forget, it was around two in the morning. So we were pretty exhausted. <laughs> But we're all, you know, walking around just going, did that just happen? Is this? And then there's sort of like the lull, the come down. And um, everyone, we're all sort of pinching ourselves. But, yeah, we, no, we couldn't take the smiles off our faces. And the Matildas were just phenomenal, um, as was Stoddy. And so, you know, just everyone being there together, being able to celebrate was a really special moment. But, yeah, we were so upbeat. But there was an air of, ah, okay, this is real now. This is, this is happening. You just mentioned there, Jane, that you have worked on a, you know, significant bid before. I'm interested in, you know, approaching the As One bid and the Get On Side bid before that as well. For yourself, were you just like, I've got this, I've done this before? Was the, was it the process or the um, experience very different between the two? Um, I guess the first time around, it would have, you would have been learning so much, but were you able to bring that to the table this time around as well? You know, I think we were much better for having experienced the process in the past. So we bid for the Men's World Cup, but also the um, Men's Asian Cup. So we had two bids um, that really provided us with an understanding of the bidding process in a football landscape. Um, from the Men's World Cup bid, it meant that we understood all of the different documents, the agreements, the building blocks, if you like, that go into having a successful bid. You know, there's seven government guarantees, there's host city agreements, there's a hosting agreement. Based on the experience we'd had in the past, I would say um, we were definitely better placed. We had a more thorough understanding 
um, and, and we knew what was important and what wasn't important. Um, so I think that, I mean, we never thought we, we had, we, I never once thought I've got this <laughs> um, to your question, but um, I did feel a little bit more prepared, better prepared. And also um, our governments are major partners with us in this bid. And so the governments also went through the men's bidding process. And so whilst we were in a better position to understand it, so were they. It meant that, you know, and we already had a really strong relationship from having delivered the Asian Cup with the majority of these governments. Um, so I think we were all better prepared and we all knew um, how to bring it to life. And the relationship was so strong. I mean, this is all about relationship. Everything is. And there was a lot of trust there. And I think that really helped us um, get it over the line. The other thing I remember at the time, Jane, um, I remember speaking to JJ in the lead up was it felt like there was a lot of confidence from government, from FIFA, from I guess anyone that was voting in terms of how Australia and New Zealand handled COVID. I guess I mm-hmm. remember the main thing being cited was those um, Olympic qualifiers for one thing where we yes. sort of were able to scramble at late notice. Well, one didn't send players um, over to China and then managed to host the whole thing here. Like when you sort of look back, how much did, these sorts of things play a role like you know stuff that when you're originally planning on putting together a bid that people wouldn't have even thought about you know like pandemic procedures (laughs) that clearly became something that was quite in not necessarily integral but was clearly played an important role in showing how we as two countries could handle this sort of stuff yeah I mean from a reputational perspective absolutely Uh, it, it just demonstrated the ability that we have to be able to make things happen and to make them happen really, really quickly and to do them really well. Um, I think it, it showed FIFA and also the, the voters that um, we're agile, um, we're professional, we understand operationally how to put on football tournaments and to be able to do that in such a short time frame definitely, uh, I, I believe, filled them with confidence. So knowing that we're in this pandemic state, who knows how long it will go on for. Um, I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm, I'm confident that we're all going to be well for 2023. However, um, I definitely think that it really put us in a strong position. And I, th- I mean, if I even go back further than that, the technical evaluation report that came out in the June a couple of weeks before the vote had us as the top score. So even, and that was scored based on commercial, operational and legacy as well. So I think there was a number of moments there was, yes, we demonstrated that we can do these things really, really well and really, really quickly. Um, and then that was then supported by having the strongest technical score out of all of the remaining bidders. Just how much of a challenge has it then therefore been um, pulling together everything in COVID times? Because I imagine these sorts of big tournaments you normally have, I know there's going to be delegations, but you'd normally have all sorts of people popping in everywhere and checking things out and doing visits and negotiations and all sorts happening in person and lots of travel for people involved. But how has it been? Like now it's going forward, like actually constructing all of this stuff when you probably can't always be in the same room as everyone you've got to do a lot remotely and plan so far ahead like how has it been doing this in yeah. the landscape? Well, yeah no great question so it's been very very different I'll say that I mean FIFA um, would normally have been to Australia and New Zealand a couple of times by now in this last year um, we are about to embark on our FIFA inspection tour and so the FIFA team are currently inspecting New Zealand so they flew from Zurich to New Zealand quarantined there for the 14 days they're currently inspecting New Zealand and just as of yesterday, we've just had to totally rebuild our itinerary for FIFA because of the most recent COVID, COVID outbreaks and 
and the broader implications to that. So we're now on this watching brief, um, making sure that we can make we can get the FIFA crew to every city that they need to get to. Uh, we're confident, fingers crossed, that we've done that. But again, we have to be flexible and agile. It means that some of us can't go to all of the cities just based on what the requirements are. That being said, over the last year, we've built a really strong relationship with the FIFA Zurich team. Um, so, you know, whilst we haven't been in the same room, we haven't been face to face, we have really built um, a strong relationship. As you guys know, this is a local entity model. It's not a standard local organising committee. And by that, I mean a local entity owned by FIFA um, has been established here in Australia. And so really, we, we're all part of FIFA. So we're sort of one team. And so I think that also helps um, in, you know, knowing that we're all on the same team, we're all building together. And, and the other thing that's super important is we all want the same outcome. I mean, we all want to deliver the best ever FIFA Women's World Cup that there's ever been. The first time it's going to be across two countries, two confederations. When we set a tournament at first, we weren't joking. So bouncing off that, Jane, you have a new role now. You started off as a, an FA employee when you were putting together the bid, but now you are technically working for FIFA. Is that right? What does your role entail now? Yeah, that's correct. So everyone who's working on the tournament will be employed by the local entity, which is owned by FIFA. Um, and I'm Chief Operating Officer for Australia. So that means that I report up into our CEO, Dave Beach, who was recently appointed just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it means that I'm responsible for, you know, majority of all of the key functional areas across the tournament, ensuring that all the building blocks are in place, ensuring that we're delivering to the standards and the requirements that, that are contained in millions of agreements, um, but also ensuring that, you know, this is bigger than just 64 first-class football matches. We want to capture hearts and minds. We want to make this tournament, you know, a cultural celebration. We want to make sure that we're involving um, all of the different festivals that take place in winter across Australia. It's making sure that everyone is buying into the vision, delivering against the vision. Um, and, yeah, as I said, delivering the best ever FIFA Women's World Cup. That's why we're here. I'm a bit nosy. Like, I know what a Chief Operation Officer is. but nosy, I love it. <laughs> Great way to open a question, but I'm interested. So what does like a typical day look like for you in, in this um, new role that you have? Like, is it wall-to-wall meetings? Like what sort of stuff are you doing? Yeah, a lot of meetings. There's been a lot of meetings and especially because it's all on Teams or Zoom. Um, a lot of late night calls, although I must say it's worse for my poor colleagues in New Zealand based on the time zone. So look, what we've been focused on in the last year. So, you know, the first real priority was getting this local entity set up. Um, and so that was sort of helping provide advice, being sort of the point person between governments, between the lawyers, between the Zurich team, and just really sort of coordinating the response to that. Um, the other key thing that was going on at the same time was the selection of the host cities and the selection of the stadiums. So in the bid, we put forward 13 venues, um, but 10 have been selected across nine host cities. So that's across Australia and New Zealand. But there was a lot of work that went into preparing and presenting to FIFA um, because they couldn't be here to select. It's very rare that they would select venues and host cities without physically seeing them first. Um, so that meant weeks and weeks of workshops with our host cities, so our state governments, with our stadiums, who did a phenomenal job. They did an awesome job. And so there they're selling their vision for their host city on teams. I mean, normally, you know, it's much easier to do this in person, but I think we've all adapted pretty well. So it was a real focus. That was a, a huge focus for, for a major part of the year. Um, and then following on from that, the recruitment drive. So we're like a startup, really. 
So this is all around setting up the, the team, appointing the heads of departments, which we're halfway through. I, felt, I mean, I should have started a recruitment company. I keep joking. <laughs> I, could, um, I could have done that for sure. So, yeah, we've been in market for a little while. Um, I've spent lots of nights. I think I reckon I've done about 70 interviews easily. Um, so, yeah, that's taken up a lot of time. So it really is a startup. So setting the foundations to make sure that we're set up for success. Really, that's what this phase has been about. Um, and then following on from that, it's preparing for the FIFA inspection program, which you can prepare and prepare. And as I said, just as of yesterday, we turned it on its head and we started again. Just to follow on from that bit of nosiness, like I imagine like setting up World Cup, it, it's a massive event. Like you've got all these stadiums, you've got all these training bases, um, you know, you've got all these different sites, fan zones, everything. Like how far along are you? Like we're so we're like, Mm. roughly two years away from this yep. world cup like how quickly does this stuff as again with the nosiness how quickly does this stuff come together like are you putting some of these things in place now i mean obviously stadium availability is something that you won't have until you get a lot closer to the time like how does this all sort of come together like is it all one sort of big um bump in close to the tournament or is it gradual sort of steps yeah, so look, I'd say it's gradual. I mean, we have to remember that from the bid, um, we had to nominate all of the training sites that denominate the stadiums, and we did a hell of a lot of work during the bid. So that really set us up um, to start in a position where we've got a lot of the information. Um, that what takes the time is the selection process, and because FIFA haven't been here, um, there's an overarching tool. I'm, I'm getting into boring major event management 101 here, but um, there's a project management tool. And the project management tool is really what guides what has to be done by when. Um, and then that links back to the staffing plan. So you need to have the right people in the right roles or the right players in the right positions, no different. Um, we, need to know that, we need to know what the vision is and what we're delivering against. And then we need to make sure that we've got the operational um, elements all lined up. So whilst it sort of set, feels like there's these massive, big mess of things that have to come together, it's very strategically aligned. Um, and and we we run it like a pretty tight ship, to be honest. So we know it has to be done by when, and that's how we make sure that, that we deliver on time. But the work we did during the bid has really set us up well. And also the support from our member federations, the support from the post-training sites, all of these things are really well lined up already. Um, and part of this FIFA inspection program will be FIFA inspecting these training sites um, and then finalising selection of those. Because whilst at this stage we've only finalised the selection of host cities and stadiums, and the training sites are just so critical. Um, they have to be, we want the turf to be like carpet, right? We want all, you know, we want the players to have the best possible preparation. So it's a huge piece. And it's just one one part of the big puzzle. Yeah, the, the FIFA inspection tour is fascinating. What does that involve outside of just sort of showing them the sites? Like, is there any schmoozing that has to go on? I would sort of assume not because we've already won, right? But like, what, yeah. what, is, what, is it, what else does it involve? Well, look, before this most recent COVID outbreak, we had hoped to uh, be able to show them a number of the host cities and what, what they have to offer. There's not that much time, though, I must say, because it's pretty much um, get on a plane, land, go to the hotel, then the next day, go to the stadium, go to the training sites, get on a plane, go to the next city. However, in some of the cities, like now we'll be finishing in Sydney, um, and depending on what the restrictions are at that point in time, there will be an opportunity to show them some more of the sites. Um, we, I mean, we also like we had the, the inspection program during the bid take place because COVID hit just after that. 
And so during that inspection, we really were able to show them some, you know, some fun times in uh, Sydney, Adelaide and Melbourne. So they've, um, they've had a bit of a taste of, of what we can do and, and our warm hospitality, which is what we're all renowned for. Um, so, you know, they love coming here. They wish they could have been here, you know, many times before this. But it is a very um, focused operational inspection tour and really mainly because there's no guarantee when they can come back. So, and the fact that they've all quarantined for 14 days, that's 14 days for them away from their families, away from their loved ones. So, you know, they're here to do a job now and they need to get it done so they can get back to Zurich and um, do as much as they can while they're here on the ground, just in case they can't come back for another year. You shared previously, so with that initial inspection tour in February 2020, you went all out and, you, you know, did up the stadiums and um, had kids at the venues and that sort of thing. Is there going to be the capacity to put on that sort of show, for lack of a better word, this time around, or is it going to be like clipboard, pen, ticking boxes sort of procedure? Um, yeah, it's more that. It's more the operational elements. And it was interesting you raised that because we did say to them, look, guys, we need to manage your expectation. Um, because on that inspection, we moved all their luggage for them. They didn't have to lift a finger. We we did everything you can imagine because we wanted to put on the best show possible. Lots of screws. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, all within the rules. Um, but it was, uh, we, so we did have a conversation with them. We said, look, let's just manage the expectation. You're moving your own bags this time, okay? <laughs> and they, they were like, yeah, yeah, of course, no problem, no problem at all. Um, so, yeah, look, it is operational. However, there is an opportunity. There's a media window there for 30 minutes at each stadium. So there is an opportunity for a meet and greet. Um, and, you know, hopefully that will be taken up just because it helps start really building the momentum towards the tournament. With only two years to go, um, there's a lot of work to do. And we want to make sure that we can start, you know, telling the story of the Women's World Cup and start building on that um, to ensure that the awareness is there. One of the other key things that FIFA's focused on at the moment with us is the building of the brand for the tournament. Um, so the work behind the scenes around that has started, which is exciting, um, very in, in its infancy at the moment. Um, but, you know, these types of things, these important milestones will come sooner than we think. You know, hopefully we can, we can start promoting that, you know, back end of this year. Um, and then from that, these milestones are really going to come quick and fast. As a chronic procrastinator who does not do well with deadlines, I have infinite admiration for you and everyone working on this. You cannot <laughs> postpone the World Cup. You have to get it done by then. Guys, the gates are going to open on time on the 20th of July. And no, exactly. There's no procrastination at all. Dan, is there a moment so far, beyond actually the night where you found out it was going to happen here? Is there a moment along the journey since where you've gone, what's happening like is there something that's made you really think we you know we're going to do this we're going to pull it together like is there any moment in particular or has it just been work 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 like surely every now and then you just think we're going to host a world cup here and it's yeah, awesome. no, there's been many moments there's been a few moments when uh, when because a couple of the my team that worked on the beard are now working with me in the preparation for the tournament and so you know we had such a great time they're such a great team so there's often a bit of reminiscing and then we're like my goodness we actually did this we actually you know we're actually hosting the women's world cup we actually won this this is pretty cool um and so yeah we do that and we you know there's lots of moments on the fifa inspection tour in february um lots of funny stories from that time and and just what the team did how they went above and beyond it's it's nice to have those you know pinch yourself moments with them um but you yeah, know there, there are definitely moments when we're like oh my goodness this is this is really happening 
So what's next, Jane? You like after the delegation comes and you show them how fantastic everything is, is there is it a very sort of step-by-step procedural march towards 2023 or is there just a bunch of things that are up in the air that you're trying to sort of juggle at the same time? What are the next kinds of uh, major milestones that you're working towards? Yeah, so there will be a lot of um, milestones, deliverables that will all be, you know, coming together at the same time. So that's why it's really important to get the right players in the right positions because, and it's building trust with the team. Um, They know what they have to deliver and, you know, they start, developing those programs developing the plans to ensure that we can do that so we're moving to the operational phase really where we start developing the concept of operations how are we going to deliver the tournament in Australia and in New Zealand ensuring that we deliver a tournament where there's a consistent look feel Um, you know this is one world cup just across two countries two confederations Um, so once yeah once we get the right people in the right roles then that's exactly the next phase but yeah, there's a it's a lot of work. Major events um, are a lot of work, and it's only a short amount of time. Um, and that's why you know you, it's it's quite a specific industry. And people who keep going back and doing them, I think we're all a little bit crazy. But you know, we're all in the trenches together, and it's a lot of late nights and a lot of fun. Um, but you know, amongst all of that, it's a very focused plan, um, a very focused team. Um, but also a team that will connect well together and really, you know, support each other in the delivery, just like any team. Uh, Jane, one thing I meant to ask before we were talking about reminiscing back then, how was it for you guys when um, Japan pulled out? Because I remember from a, everyone else's perspective, everyone went, AFC. <laughs> and, like, you know, Japan, I think for a lot of people went, well, we know they've hosted a Men's World Cup, they're hosting the Olympics, they've just done a Rugby World Cup. I think a lot of people were like, Japan are a real big dog here. Yeah. When they pulled out, how was it for you guys? Because I know it would have still been full steam ahead, but seeing countries pull out must be a bit of a, a strange feeling when you're one of the uh, one of the ones in the race, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And and then I go back to the technical evaluation report because we got the top score. That's what led to um, Japan, you know, pulling out of the race. I really did feel for them because if someone had have said to me, "Sorry, we're pulling out." I would have said, no, we're not. What are you talking about? I've done so much work on this. I'm not pulling out. Um, and they, because I know the big team from from Japan, amazing, wonderful people. I've met met them along along the way because there was a bidding workshop in France at the World Cup there, for example. Um, so yeah, it was a you know obviously a relief and and fantastic for them to put their support behind us. As so we had the whole of the AFC supporting our bid, which was phenomenal. Um, but I did feel for them because I know how much work goes into this. So. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, having their support, you know, really obviously helped us um, get the votes that we needed. You mentioned, so just then, that you put, you know, heart and soul into getting this bid together and now, you know, putting on a World Cup. I suppose how do you, it's a bit of a girl boss question, I guess, but, like, how do you stay balanced and stay in touch with the reason why you're doing all of this? Is it just every single day, you know, exactly why the why of it all um, or is there something that you tap back into a little bit sometimes no I think that's really really important it comes back to um, vision and it comes back to values and I think that the challenge will be ensuring that you know whilst we have this amazing big team who all bought into the same values and vision and the why um, we've got to make sure that the team that comes on board is also aligned with that um, but for me personally, yeah, it's not too hard for me to remember the wife, so I was so, I was so part of it. 
Um, but I think, yeah, just making sure everyone's on the, on the same page. We, we created so much fantastic content. I mean, the bid presentation video is one piece that I think captures the spirit of the bid. And I think, you know, replaying that from time to time is always a really great reminder. Um, and I think, you know, remembering all of the work we did, we did with the bid community champions, because at the heart of it, it's the grassroots community that really got behind the bid. Um, and then, of course, the Matildas, right? So they lent their voice to this campaign. They were on side from, from the start. And I think that's what we need to remember. We need to remember why we're hosting this tournament um, and what we're going to achieve through doing that. And I think whilst there's all the operational pieces that we do have to get right, at the end of the day, we want to also want to make sure, um, you know, that we have, we remember the vision, we remember the why. And I think just tapping back into that from time to time is critical. Speaking of grassroots, Jane, uh, you know, the legacy aspect of this mm -hmm. bid, I think, was a really powerful one. And it aligns in so many ways with what FIFA wants to do in terms of growing the women's game across the world. Have you already started to see, I guess, the ripple effects of hosting this tournament in terms of participation, in terms of investment, in terms of new programs, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so Legacy is a really interesting piece. So Football Australia will um, manage the legacy element of the tournament. It's a really great learning from the Asian Cup. When we were in the LOC, we sort of tried to do it all. But it's really important that Football Australia are the organisation that maintains and runs legacy. And Sarah Walsh and Mark Fowler have done an amazing job in building that legacy plan with the pillars and um, really bringing that to life. Um, in the, in the latest budget, Football Australia was awarded the 12 million that you would have seen around high performance. So high performance is one of the major pillars in the plan. So seeing that come to life, um, yeah, it's really exciting because we know what that can do. Um, there's also the, um, you know, getting to 50-50 by 2027 is a really key target that Football Australia is really focused on achieving. Increasing the facilities, of course, critical and that's where the local entity supports Football Australia. So, for example, the training sites that we've put forward in the bid and that will bring to life also supports that want for increased community facilities. Um, community facilities are top class as well. So, you know, all of these building blocks really will go into bringing the legacy plan to life. And that's why we have to stay connected and work and work together to, to do that. But, yeah, over the next two years, you will see more of these things come to life and that's going to be super exciting to be part of that. Just to quickly bounce off that as well, one of the more, I guess, interesting um, developments over the last couple of weeks has been the broadcast deal for the yeah. Matildas and the Socceroos. We talk about growing women's football, visibility and accessibility, particularly on free-to-air television, is such a huge deal. What are your thoughts on this new broadcast deal and what do you sort of hope or expect it's going to contribute in terms of growing the Matildas, growing football and uh, leading into the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I mean, super exciting for Football Australia um, to have announced that that partnership and then also for FIFA to have announced the partnership with Optusport for the FIFA Women's World Cup. So, yeah, as you rightly say, it's all about visibility. I mean, I remember, I'm showing my age now, but growing up, you know, the, the female athletes I remember are the swimmers because they were at the Com Games or the Olympics and that was on TV um, and also tennis because, because it was on television. I mean, now there's so many other platforms clearly, but the visibility is critical and increasing that visibility, which we will achieve through the Optusport partnership, through um, 10, Paramount Plus, et cetera, um, is really going to help grow participation, grow awareness, 
um, and lead to all of these amazing legacy outcomes that we want to achieve. So, yeah, I think the support is just fantastic. I think the, the team here at Football Australia did a phenomenal job in, um, in, in managing that. Bit of a random one, Jane. It follows on from what Angela was asking earlier. How do you guys, as people that are in major events teams, you're building these big things. I imagine it's at times it can feel round the clock um, for mm-hmm. days, months, weeks. How do you guys avoid the burnout? Like because you've got this team that you've got to manage, and then you're you've obviously got your smaller teams, and there's so many people, so many cogs in this. Like, how do you get this? I guess show up and running without you know people falling apart along the way because it's, it takes a big commitment and investment from everyone involved, especially you guys that are, you know, have been front and center and in the thick of it for a long time. How do you keep it all, you know, just running smoothly while everyone is still able to, I guess, keep some sort of level of balance, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if I believe in balance anymore. I think I like to believe in harmony. And so, cause I don't ever think you can get the scales right. I think sometimes they're tipping one way or the other. But I think if you can find a little bit of harmony um, and ensuring that you're, you know, focused on your well-being as well. So, you know, taking some time out for yourself at some point is critical um, and just making sure the well-being of staff is, you know, front and centre in everything that we do. You know, I've worked lots of major events um, and, yeah, you're right, it is super crazy hours and, you know, there's a lot of work involved. But I think um, everyone has to take responsibility for themselves. And I think I really encourage all of my staff to put their hand up and say, you know what, I need the afternoon off. I'm just, I'm spent. And I think, you know, I really admire that when people do that because you're no good to anyone if you're going to burn yourself out. But I think if you can find some harmony amongst the craziness, I think that that's always helped me. And I think it's really important that we encourage that. Um, It's not just in our industry, right? It's everywhere. You know, these days we're all working crazy hours and you guys are the same. So I think it's um, ensuring that you do take some time out, know what your boundaries are and, um, and you manage that really well and have open conversations within the team to encourage that. Can we ask silly questions now, Marissa? <laughs> Marissa's the boss. She's the host. Uh, my question was uh, actually, it's not that silly, but how many times have you watched that video um, that's from the front of the room of all you guys celebrating and just watched everyone's celebrations, including your own? Like how many times have you watched that video? I haven't, I haven't watched it that many times, to be honest. Um, I've watched, I couldn't even tell you the number. It's not super amount, but I do pick up something different every time I have, you know, played it. It's more other people playing it and showing me. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. I was there. You know, I, what I love is looking around the room and seeing um, everyone else's reactions to it um, because, you know, you can you just sense the anticipation in the room and then the relief and the joy that came. You know, f- you know, seeing the, the looks on their faces, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a, great, it's a great memory. It's a memory we'll all always have and share. All of our phones were just pinging from friends and family who were, you know, watching and excited and waiting. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of messages coming through at that point in time. I wish I had just left us alone, let us just sit there. <laughs> I put you my phone on the floor, you probably saw. I just left it on the floor because I just thought I don't want to look. Did you have a favourite reaction from anyone? Like there's some great ones from the Matildas girls. I, like, I was going to say the Matildas. The Matildas were phenomenal. And Liz, oh, my goodness, the look on her face. And, um, yeah, they were just, they were so great. And, you know, I'm still claiming that I outjumped Lana. Um, we'll have to have a jump off when she gets back to Australia at some point. I, I do have a very silly question. Just like brace yourself. 
So we want to know what it, wait, I'll bring you all into it. What was it like meeting Elmo? <laughs> That's been, other than this interview, probably my favourite interview. <laughs> Thank you so that, much. We topped Elmo. <laughs> that was um, definitely a career highlight. And when the when the request came through, I was like, what, Elmo? You want me to talk to Elmo? And I was like, I would love to talk to Elmo. I was, yeah, it was just, fan, it was fantastic. Um, such an amazing character and having grown up watching Elmo for forever, I just, uh, it was great. And my nieces and nephews loved it. So they were like, I kept watching the, the, the interview and they couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it was a real hoot. It was good fun. How much street cred did you get out of that, Jane? That like <laughs> little kids in your life, yeah, it just elevates you. You could do so many things. Like you secure Australia, New Zealand, a World Cup, eh. like interview with Elmo, right yeah. up here. Yeah, right, right up there. Like they were our uh, favourite auntie for sure now. I've got one more silly one. How many times did you guys try and get, this is, we're throwing friend of the pod, Anno Dong, under the bus here. How many times did you try and get her to get in photos and videos and things celebrating? Because she's always behind the lens. Never uh, the one taking the, the photo. I know. I know. We tried to capture her, but you're right. She's always behind. Like, she's the one who captured the jump, the photo of me jumping. That's her amazing work. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very, very hard there. She is on video, though. There's a video of the last of the 24 hours, and you can see her reaction at, at a point. And it's so special to see because she just works so hard on this bit. Um, and I remember the day we, you know, we got Annie into the team and I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be super fun. This is going to be great. And she's more knowledgeable, um, than all of us around women's football. So having her as, as part of the team, um, just really helped us all. And that's about building a team, right? You, you fill the gaps with the right people and, um, everyone, everyone really learned from her. That's what I liked. You just mentioned, so you learned a lot of Anne. I- is there anything like very niche that you've learned a lot about throughout this whole process that you didn't expect to? Like you mentioned, there's piles of documents and lots of things you need to be across, but is there any, I don't know, areas that you've developed that you didn't expect to? Um, very good question. Anything niche? I think, um, I think more what I've learned about is me as a leader and, um, you know, I was really fortunate to have participated in the AIS leadership, performance leadership program, which I entered, it was a two-year program, and I entered that program when I started the bid. And so the skills that I learned through that program was just a phenomenal program. Um, I believe really helped in my leadership style in leading the bid team. And I think that's one of the most amazing gifts of this whole thing for me personally. Um, and, yeah, it's something that I'll be truly grateful for. And the fact that some of the bids teams still want to come back and work with me, I think that's, that's really great. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. We, you know, we can't thank you enough for all the hard work you've actually done behind the scenes for so many years to actually allow us to be able to do a podcast like this and allow us to be excited about July 20th, 2023. So thank you so much for everything. We've absolutely had a blast having you on. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all of your support during the bid. And, and I know we'll be, we'll be talking more as we head towards 2023.
We absolutely will. So thank you for all tuning in. You can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Google and Apple. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe or leave a review if that so takes your fancy. On social media, we're at the Far Post Pod, so you can get in touch with us there. But until next time, see us.